in this episode of the Brawn Body Podcast, I am super excited to welcome on a longtime friend of mine, Jonathan Snyder, to be discussing philosophical fitness. So if you don't know John, John is currently a PhD candidate studying pharmacology at Drexel University. He got his undergraduate degree at Lebanon Valley College. That's where I met him. And he's one of those people that kind of does everything. He's got some history of stand-up comedy. He's got his one degree, his bachelor's degree. And like I said, he's getting his PhD now. He also does a lot of fitness kind of things from martial arts to running and training for an Ironman, which he'll discuss today. And in our next episode a little bit, uh, he works out, lifts, power lifter kind of stuff. He used to wrestle. Again, he kind of does everything. Uh, and today we were talking about something we're both kind of passionate about, and that's philosophy, specifically Stoicism, and how that relates to health and fitness. So I'm really excited to bring you this episode. I think it came out really well. With that, before we get to that, just want to mention real quick this episode and all of our episodes are sponsored by CTM Band, Compression Tension Movement Band. If you need new recovery products, whether that be the CTM Band itself, it's similar to Floss, Rumble Roller, Ridge Roller, that sort of thing, click the link below, use BRON10, the coupon code at checkout, get yourself 10% off. There's also one more sponsor, I'm going to turn it over to them for a quick word. That's all of our advertisements for today. Enjoy the show, everyone. Welcome to the show, John. Excited to have you today. Thanks, Dan. It's so good to be here. So kind of diving into this philosophical fitness, as I mentioned before in the intro there, you've got quite a history. You've been in uh, school with me at LVC. You ended up uh, going for your uh, PhD in pharmacology there, and you're studying all kinds of stuff. You're also doing a lot uh, from fitness to school to, you know, side gigs in comedy. I mean, you're a busy guy. And I know that having kind of a set of ground morals and kind of like a moral compass has really helped you along that journey. Uh, So kind of with that, you know, I know you're kind of rooted in the Stoic philosophy, Stoicism, and those lessons tie right into your life. They tie into health, tell into fitness, wellness, all aspects of, you know, what this podcast has been about since the start. So can you kind of talk a little bit about what those ties are or where they come from? Yeah, yeah. And I, if, uh, if we kind of like start a bit at the beginning of how I got interested in philosophy, and I, I think this will develop into, uh, into the question that you asked. For One sure. of the main things that brought me into philosophy is that it, is, uh, it was the major uh, of my now spouse in college. And when you want to spend three hours, two, three hours in the gym some days, you got to be able to justify it in the way that you're significant other things. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, she's actually not a fan of a lot of the Stoic philosophers. They're, uh, they're, they're favorites, for sure, of the people who are interested in fitness because they tend to justify a care of the body, um, but uh, maybe sometimes at the expense of emotional understanding of, of your fellow human. Um, I don't think that's the case. I know that that's uh, oftentimes the criticism, but... Uh, I think that if you're, you're interested in motivating yourself to pursue fitness, 
um, based on the idea that it's a good thing to do and a moral choice, then reading of the Stoics is the way to go. Because uh, the Stoics really highlight that uh, living as a human being would in nature is a pathway to happiness. And the human beings that, that, uh, that came before us, uh, they lived with adversity and they had to be uh, physically fit, if not physically superior to succeed. Right. And you see a big disconnect from that in modern society. And I know that there's a lot of people who kind of take that and run with it as the main reason we're seeing the poor trends that we are, right? You know, Stoic philosophy, as you said, was founded in the principles of strong-willed, strong mind, healthy individuals. And anymore, we don't see that. We don't see that focus on, you know, self-improvement and personal development anymore. Um, so it's kind of interesting how, you know, again, this is one philosophical approach, as you mentioned, that doesn't mean it's, you know, the one everyone agrees on, but it is interesting to see how the health and fitness community has really uh, evolved to embody stoicism uh, as we know it in modern society. And it's interesting to see how some of those principles that were discussed thousands of years ago in this approach to things still hold true today. Absolutely. Perhaps even more true because they, they're almost the counter example to the way we live our lives in the complete avoidance of physically adverse circumstances. I think in, in maybe one of your other podcasts, you talked about uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs a little bit. Yep. The, the Stoics almost try to intentionally descend that hierarchy now and then to put themselves in a situation where they need food, for instance, because like we talk about the before we got started here, we talked about the benefits of intermittent fasting. That's essentially what we're talking about. You're putting yourself in an adverse circumstances, uh, in one case, because it's, it's physiologically beneficial, but in another case, because it helps you understand the higher, uh, the higher levels of the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's, a, it's more impactful when you've been at the bottom. <laughs> right. And it ties into delayed gratification too, mm -hmm. right? It's, you know, what you're doing right now might not feel beneficial at the time, right? So rolling with that intermittent fasting example, if you start to get hungry, not eating probably doesn't seem like a good idea. But when you start to kind of dive into it more and understand that it's going to promote cellular autophagy, it's going to help prevent insulin resistance, it's going to promote fat burning and increase growth hormone secretion and androgen receptor density, and all these beneficial things down the line, you start to see that, hey, maybe I need to suffer a little bit right now to reap that benefit later on, reap what you sow, so to speak. Mm -hmm. and, and of course, the Stoics didn't know that. I like the Stoics that we're going to talk about today anyway. They didn't know that the adversity that they were forcing themselves into was going to increase cellular autophagy. That would be <laughs> a key factor when they were aging into their 80s and 90s, which was highly unlikely, but did occur for some of these philosophers. Um, so, so why did the Stoics do it then? Because like we both understand the autophagy, the right. mTOR inhibition, uh, you know, the weight loss at its, at its most basic. But why did the Stoics do it? I think that's one of the best questions for today. Right. And that's something that the two of us will be pondering. But I'm also interested to hear anyone who's listening, if they have a different perspective, please feel free to message in or leave us a voice message. 
and we might share it and discuss it on a future podcast. Um, and just kind of my own thoughts on that. Why would someone put themselves through something kind of difficult if they didn't know there was going to be a benefit from it? Uh, and I think that comes down to kind of what the Stoics tend to do, right? The Stoics tend to live in the present moment for uh, the most part. So with that said, they're not living or focusing in the past. They're not living or focusing in the future. Mm -hmm. They are living in the right now. Uh, so if you need examples of that, I like to look at uh, the list of companies that get started during like, you know, economic crisis, depression, wars. Uh, so like Walt Disney was founded in 1928, 1929 during that Great Depression area. Uh, Hewitt Packard was founded in 1935. Um, Coors Light was founded in 1873 during a depression. I mean, the list goes on and on of different companies that were started in, you know, panic times, so to speak. But when you focus on the right now, you don't see that time as, you know, a time to uh, act in crisis or kind of, you know, lose sight of what your goals are. You see that time as a time of opportunity. You live in the moment. So you know that those obstacles that are in your way have implications in your past and your future, but you don't let that hinder you from what you want to do. You think differently, for lack of a better way to put it. And I think that's something that people these days struggle with. People struggle to find opportunity. Um, I think it was Seneca that said a good person dies events with his own color and turns whatever happens to his own benefit, right? It's not worrying about the outcome. It's not worrying about the future. It's here's what we have right now and here's how we're going to roll with the punches on it, work with it and make the best of it. Absolutely. And I'm so glad that you mentioned Seneca because he is one of my <laughs> one of the later, but one of my favorite Stoic philosophers. And a, a good personal example, I think of this is, um, so I've been doing uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu lightly and recreationally for a few years now. But uh, in the middle of the pandemic, I started up wholeheartedly several times a week. And uh, you're never living more in the moment than when somebody is choking you. There is, <laughs> if somebody's breaking your arm, you're not thinking, uh, is this the kind of person that I want to be? You're thinking about saving that arm from the position that it's in, if you're thinking at all. So uh, sports where you're not just training, but also competing. Um, and especially if there's a danger element that is, is instinctually uh, uh, dominant, uh, that's, that's something that will help you experience living in the moment truly. Um, in a sense that, you know, some some woo woo people might say that they're able to do in a social circumstance or in a uh, in sort of a, a metaphysical way, but if you're doing it in a physical way, you can be certain of it, and it, it penetrates the psychology of the moment. Because um, like you go into you go into work the next day, and, and maybe you have a, a, a bad interaction with a coworker or your boss. At no point are you thinking, oh, at least they're not choking me. <laughs> yeah no for real and yeah. kind of like you said too you start to seize opportunities where other people don't see opportunities um so if i remember correctly 
Pericles was an Athenian general and they were, uh, him and his men were on a naval mission in the uh, Peloponnesian War. And um, they had a solar eclipse, which put the whole fleet into darkness. And everyone started panicking, except he said, hey, this is a great time to attack the enemy, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so it's kind of looking at the present situation from that neutral light, not, you know, things are inherently good or bad. It's just, it is what it is. And I, uh, I like to say that I hate people who use that expression all the time because it's like, you know, there's more to it than just it is what it is. But in general, things are not inherently good or evil. It's your perspective of that, your perception of it that decides for you, is this good or is this bad? And that's why some people have been able to kind of thrive in the midst of chaos because they don't see it as chaotic. Yeah, they're almost excited to be living in, an, in, a, in a time that uh, is different. <laughs> so does that make you excited to be alive right now as we're talking about this during a pandemic? <laughs> <laughs> um, last year it was tough. So when, when you asked me to do this podcast, I think it was in February of last year, right before things started to shut down. And I was like, yeah, I want to do this podcast. I was, you know, lifting three or four days a week, um, feeling like I was about as strong as I had ever been at a, at a weight that was very comfortable for me. I was, uh, uh, I was doing the Drexel powerlifting competition in the near future. Oh, wow. Um, and then, and then the, the, the apocalypse hit, <laughs> the, the not apocalypse hit, fortunately enough. And, uh, and then I almost felt like I had more to say because, you know, I was shut out of the weight, uh, the, the gym. So I live in Philadelphia. So lockdown was pretty tight here for about a year at least. So I, I didn't lift weights uh, over 50 pounds for a year and a half. And uh, we, we still talked about doing the podcast here and there, but uh now now i'm excited i'm really excited <laughs> that I, I took up these other things that weren't weightlifting but definitely right. went through a period of am i am i a fit person anymore yeah no for sure and you know as we talked about that was an obstacle in your path that was an obstacle in your journey mm -hmm. but you didn't let the fact that in that case there was a lockdown and you couldn't get to the gym you didn't let that deter you from your mission or your goal instead mm -hmm. that obstacle in your path became your way forward and you really did you decided to adapt and say you know what here's what i can do about this mm -hmm. and i'm going to steer this in the direction that i choose and i think there's a lot of power in doing that uh you kind of shift that power back to yourself not the situation you're not what happened to you but you are what you chose to become and maybe uh, if I can say that we're both uh, two people who are early in our career, we can't uh, we can't afford to build a gym um, short notice when plates are at a uh, at a historically high price. So yeah, we had to adapt more than anybody and get a little bit extra creative. So I, I took the the cheapest pathway to fitness that I had at the time, and I started running long distances so yeah the obstacle really became the way and then um i didn't want to take public transport because it was there was special rules about uh, taking public transport and then going into work because you're you know getting exposed to all these people so i, I bought a bike and i started biking into work every day and, and the, so those those two obstacles so uh, let's do an iron man next year 
<laughs> so you're doing an Ironman next year now. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. That, that's a bit out of the way of philosophy, but um, but I would say that Ironman and uh, uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, they both have a suffering element to them. <laughs> yeah. Very big mental suffering too at that, right? It's, yeah. you know, there's the physical suffering, but you mentally have to endure and embrace this suck component, <laughs> you know, and whether that's, you know, when you're 50 miles into your bike ride and you still got 50 miles to go and a full marathon to go, mm -hmm. or when you're getting your butt kicked, you know, three, four rounds in the ring and you need to find a way to bounce back you know everything hurts you know you could tap out you know you could give up but you know that's the easy way and nothing worth having comes easy yeah so uh yeah so, so I, I probably sounded like a motivational speaker there for about two seconds here reading off all these quotes and whatnot but <laughs> um with that too it's not just, you know, you and the obstacle that was in your way. I'm sure along that way, you were learning from a lot of other people around you. You said the whole mm. philosophical thing for you kind of got started from your girlfriend who was a philosophical major. Yes. Um, so it's kind of interesting how, you know, philosophers have always learned from one another. And it's interesting how in your case that ended up happening for you. And I don't think you really recognized it at the time when it first happened. No, not at all. And uh, just one, one there's a very specific thing about the type of philosophy that she was researching. She uh, did the research that led to the publication of a book on whether or not uh, Plato, you know, the famous Greek philosopher, was interested in physical health when he when he talked about care for oneself. Was he talking about just the spirit or was he talking about the body or the spirit and the body, the, the duality there? And uh, the book that she participated in the publication of uh, leaned heavily towards uh, Plato caring for both the spirit and the body and encouraging others to do the same, even if he did ultimately find the care of the spirit, you know, the, the intellectual side to be the, the more important one. But we live at very different times to when Plato did. We, we may have shifted as a society to a society that cares so much about the intellectual that, that now we might need to write books on uh, the need for greater care of the body than the spirit. I don't think that that's the case. I think we should always advocate for a balance, but uh, the difference in society certainly informs how Plato has been interpreted over time. Yeah, definitely. And kind of with that too, it comes down to the three elements of health, right? Body, mind, and spirit. They all play into one another. And like anything, if you tip the scale too far in one direction, things tend to get a little uneasy and uneven. And that ties right back into the stoic principle of just being disciplined in action, you know, get moving and stay moving. Uh, the stoic philosophers were never big on laziness or um i'll use the term last week in the uh podcast about mental health and mental well-being we were discussing self-care and how this term self-care has gotten thrown around and instead of what it originally meant to be things like breath work things like meditation yoga things to kind of reset your mind and get you connected within yourself it's got kind of skewed along to things like binge watching a, a whole series on Netflix 
or binging out on food or something like that. And it's called treating yourself. And in yeah. reality, these are things that will only make your situation worse and move you further away from your goal. It's not to say that you shouldn't have a little downtime every now and then, but you know, we get so caught up in it that we forget about the importance of just simple action. Do your job, do it right. Mm-hmm. Whatever is done uh, rightly, you know, it's, it's a noble thing to do. Um, and you can Google different examples of that historically uh, from, you know, President, uh, what was his name? I think it was uh, Garfield, um, James Gar- Garfield. He, in order to get into college, persuaded his uh, college that he was studying at, uh, he couldn't afford it. He persuaded them to give him a job as a janitor in exchange for tuition. No pay, but he worked. So action in order to get the outcome that he wanted. So it's amazing how anymore everyone has an excuse for everything, but no one wants to work for it. Yeah, and um, so so essentially, uh, we we talked about doing this philosophy podcast. as sort of, I I saw two parts of it. One right. is the the is fitness a moral good part, and the other is how good is fitness as a uh, sort of a training mechanism to learn the the other pathways towards moral good, because no nowhere is it more clear that uh, you know a grind towards some end goal is is what you need to do to get there than it than in lifting weights than in running sprints doing it over and over again sort of virtue ethics type training you can only uh you can only improve your virtue by training it uh it's nowhere is it more easy to see for a human i think than in the, the care of one's body in a physical way and thank you so much for uh for bringing up the care like self-care uh, care of the spirit as well, because I, I do want to be really careful when we talk about fitness and whether it's a moral good or not, that we're not making judgments on people who occasionally sacrifice uh, a little bit of physical fitness to, to care for their for their emotional well-being. Right. But we're always talking about having a, an adequate balance of both. And I think you and I both perceive in the world based on statistics and personal experience that we need to also advocate for physical fitness as a as a mechanism to get to um, emotional well-being as well as the totality of well-being Mm -hmm. yeah exactly and you know it doesn't matter when you get to that point of well-being right everyone moves at different paces Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. just that you need to consistently be moving towards it and maybe that's at the pace you're going where you go on your 50 mile bike ride (laughs) or maybe that's the pace that i'm going where you know, I do cardio a couple times a week. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. everyone's different in how they get there. It's just yeah. that you get there. Um, yeah, it's, we, we are, you and I are probably pretty fortunate that after we do, uh, you know, a two hour workout or a, a 50 mile bike ride, that we feel better in our emotional state of well-being, whereas some people don't. Right. It's, um, it's nice that we like it. But if you're a stoic philosopher, you might say that we chose to like it because it was, <laughs> we felt it was a good thing. Embrace the suck. There it is yeah. again. Huh? Yeah. We, we choose what we like. We do. Um, and kind of going along with that too. Uh, you just said we choose what we like. Uh, that kind of makes me think of some of our other past uh, philosophers. So we mentioned Seneca 
briefly, but there's plenty of others out there. Plato, uh, Epic, uh, I always struggle with his name, Epictetus or Epic, 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 uh, it's not coming off right for me today. Epictetus. Yeah. Uh, geez. Epictetus, some people say. You can tell I'm well read here. Sheesh. (laughs) Uh, Or Marcus Aurelius, uh, those sort of individuals. Uh, Going along with that, what kind of perspectives do you think they can offer us in kind of modern present time? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so. We picked out a couple of quotes um, and, and a lot of them get at the same thing. That It's all about balance. And, and like we said, we perceive there to be in the world too many people who have a deficit of, of physical care for their body. So I think that uh, uh, this Masonius Rufus, the teacher of Epictetus, um, probably had the best quote that I wanted to uh, that I wanted to share with people the most. And here it is, since a human being happens to be neither soul alone nor body alone, but a composite of the two things, someone in training must pay attention to both. They should rightly pay more attention to the better part, the soul, but they should also take care of the other parts or part of him will become defective. Uh, We talked about the uh, the interaction as well between the body and the soul. If, if you have a deficit in one, it will be realized in the other. So if, if you if you don't train, it's been shown that your eating habits become dysregulated. If you don't have an active lifestyle, it's known that your sleeping habits are dysregulated. And it's only a small jump from eating and sleeping to being, uh, I mean, we all know about being hangry and grouchy because uh, uh, because you haven't slept. And it's very hard to be an ethical person concerned with justice when you are not in the right state of being. There's one other one here that I really wanted to share. Uh, I can't find it. (laughs) No worries, (laughs) no worries. Um, But no, I I think those are great things to keep in mind. Um, And kind of like we said, it's a balance of everything. And it doesn't matter what your circumstances are, you can find a way to achieve balance and you can find a way to achieve whatever you want to achieve in life. Mm -hmm. Uh, There is always a way forward. Some Mm -hmm. ways move quicker than others. Um, I like to call them wormholes to the destination you want to get to. Sometimes you jump through one and you're right there. And sometimes you end up about a thousand miles away. And that's okay as long as you keep uh, persistent keep moving forward as we've talked about. Uh, And one of my best examples I like to pull from for this is Thomas Jefferson. He was well known as a politician. He was well known as a writer, uh, one of the founding fathers of the country. And yet he had a speech impediment. So someone who struggled to speak in public, right? He kind of mentally wasn't all there when he was speaking as well, because he knew he had a slight deficit, but he found his strengths and he played into it. And now we remember him historically. Uh, And now we look at uh, other people too, like take Thomas Edison. Thomas Edison had an extreme uh, hearing deficit. So he was willing to accept that, you know, in his case, his senses weren't doing him a favor he accepted it. He didn't resent it. And both him and Jefferson accepting it, not resenting it, led to personal growth. And they found kind of their path forward. They found their, uh, they, they saw the obstacle in their path, but they used it to 
move their needle of life forward in their own direction. Uh, so I think it's important to remember too, it's not just, you know, the hand you're dealt, like I said before, it's not what's happened to you, but it's what and who you choose to become despite everything. Mm -hmm. That reminds me of, I was at, actually at a jujitsu competition um, t t three weeks ago now, and maybe we'll talk about this in a later podcast, but it was very inspiring that there, there was more than one person there who was missing a limb and competing at a very high level. Um, they had belt colors that indicated that they've been practicing this for years and, you know, celebrating their performance on the mat. Excellent level of sportsmanship at these competitions as well. And um, that is not a great example of, I mean, you have four approximately four weapons in jiu-jitsu each limb and um th this person has embraced it to such a degree that they've chosen the sport at perhaps which they're most disadvantaged i have so much respect for that that i feel like that's a very stoic thing to do for sure and <clears throat> kind of with that too i'm sure their attitude towards everything is unmatched mm -hmm. and going back to stoicism amor feti love everything that happens right Mm -hmm. So we'll go back to Edison here. I like Edison as examples. I don't know for a fact if he was stoic or not, but I look at some of the things he did in his life and I really, I really wonder, and maybe that's a new book idea in itself there. Um, Edison, there was, I think he was about 65, 67 years old when this happened. Um, he was at his lab. He got home. And he got a message from someone, a messenger came and told him that his lab was burning and on fire. Um, so he gathered all of his friends and family and told them to come with him and watch. And he told them, you're never going to see another fire like this, because obviously he had a pretty big chemical lab and all that way for research and experiments and whatnot. But it's like, what else could he have done? Should he have you know, gotten mad about it? Should he have, you know, let that kind of be his end all be all? Um, after it burnt, three weeks later, he had completely rebuilt the lab and had it up and running. Uh, and within a month after the fire, he had, um, he had all of his employees that were there before working two shifts per day instead of one, <clears throat> and they were pumping out new products. He lost a million dollars to put the new factory up, but gained 10 million in sales that year. So again, it's stories like this that just kind of, I think people forget these days. <clears throat> There's a lot of hard times out there. We are living in a pandemic, but <clears throat> with that too, Marcus Aurelius himself lived through a pandemic mm -hmm. and you think this one is bad. Well, that pandemic lasted much longer. It was much more deadly Oh, and there was a ton of wars going on in the middle of it. So even though things might get perceived as bad right now, even though you might mentally see things as challenging or an obstacle, keep your nose to the grindstone and keep moving forward in some capacity, because obviously everything happens for a reason, in my opinion anyways. And if you keep moving forward, then you might find out what that reason is and all the chips will fall into place and all the puzzle pieces will fit. And we don't always understand how that happens, but it happens. Mm -hmm. I love that you started with an, an obscure historical story and finished <laughs> at, uh, at sounding like some sort of uh, 
personal motivator again <laughs> in a way that made very much sense. Um, and, and do you mind if I insert the story of Sisyphus here in the point Please that I wanted do. to make about Please that? I yep. think it relates to what you just said. So if it, you've any, uh, if you have any listeners that are big fans of mythology, I sincerely apologize for what I'm about to do to a classic story because I'm not going to tell all of it. I don't, I don't want to. I was going to say, I actually have it right here. <laughs> I thought you might. <laughs> I have it here as well. <laughs> But I only want to make a small point about the end of the story. Mm-hmm. So uh, essentially, the story is that Sisyphus was able to cheat death by locking him in his closet when he when he came to collect his soul. Um, mm-hmm. But when uh, when death was eventually released, uh, the gods punished Sisyphus by making him push a boulder up a hill for all eternity. And as soon as he got to the top of the hill, the boulder would, of course, roll back down to the bottom and he would have to stop, start all over. So not only is the, the boulder, which uh, is representative of the, the burden of, of life and his struggle, is not is moving up the hill, so is he. He's, he's moving up and down as time goes on. And there is a lot of philosophical debate um, just, just a few centuries ago about this ancient myth um, about whether, uh, about first of all, how much human life is like pushing a boulder up a hill only for it to roll back down the other end and, and whether or not Sisyphus should be happy while doing it. And I hope that there's one of your listeners out there like me who heard this story and their first question was, how tall is the hill and how much does the boulder weigh? And uh, how many reps was he getting in per like one underworld day? And if he got much better at it, if he, if he trained himself up and became stronger, could he get a heavier boulder? Or could he some days use a lighter boulder and train different, uh, different training parameters? Uh, yeah, so n- nowhere is this question of whether Sisyphus is happy doing this more, uh, more obvious than in physical fitness. Because how many times do like, get hit with pandemic have to take Mm -hmm. a year and a half off here at the bottom of the hill again um age ultimately everybody succumbs to age it's unbeaten unscored upon according to rocky balboa we all roll (laughs) we all roll back down to that bottom of the bottom of the stairs in his case bottom of the hill in the myth um so my my big question is though when you get different what elements can we incorporate into this myth until we start to see that sisyphus should be happy maybe he's preventing the boulder from hitting somebody else because our physical fitness certainly impacts others, um, mm-hmm. whether it's inspiring to them or if it, it sucks them into a, a culture that, um, that they might not be as happy in. By, uh, you know, if we live a sedentary lifestyle, the, the others around us might uh, be more prone to living a sedentary lifestyle. And um, so, yeah, so can we lift other people's boulders up? Does, does preparing ourselves help others? Like um, the other quote that I couldn't find was essentially that the practice of virtue, which requires a spirit in good standing, often necessitates a good body. So like if you're helping somebody move, if you have a fit body, you're going to be so much more capable of doing that. Um, and I'm sure we could think of a dozen other examples, but essentially you're doing so much more than pushing a boulder up. Uh, you're, you're showing somebody that they can get that boulder up. You're preventing it from hitting them. Sometimes you're helping them with their struggles. Mm-hmm. This uh, <clears throat> talking about this makes me think of the <clears throat> ethical debate of the trolley car problem. Uh, when the trolley is heading towards, you know, down one track and it will hit so many people or you can switch it to another track and hit you know less people 
uh, should you do it or should you not? Uh, in this case, maybe in life, you're doing things that are pushing that boulder up and it does keep rolling back down, right? Mm-hmm. So in fitness, you go into the gym, you squat 400 pounds, you deadlift 500 pounds, you end up putting the weights back and you walk out like nothing ever happened, right? Everything returned to where it was originally. What did it do for you? Uh, or, you know, in life, there's different kind of internal battles and internal struggles that people uh, will go through and they'll be fighting those battles and carrying that extra what I'll call weight on their shoulders and they might eventually fall down collapse figuratively speaking because of all that but for the length of time that they carried uh, that extra weight what happened you know did someone else's life get impacted did they save someone else from something uh, and like you said, the same thing holds true for fitness. You know, you might walk into the gym and walk out and nothing's changed. Everything's the same. Everything's back where it was. But what you did in that time can have such a broader impact on everyone else. And I think that's another piece that uh, maybe I didn't do a good enough job of highlighting yet is, you know, your life is not just about you. It's not a marathon of what you want take everything for you it's about the impact and legacy you leave uh for others to follow that's why we're talking about people like plutarch or um marcus aurelius or socrates or any of these ancients right now they obviously did something so great in their life that we remember them to this day thousands of years later uh, so, you know, kind of with that too, I mean, what are people going to say about John Snyder a thousand <laughs> years from now? You know, it sounds crazy, but at the same time, it's like, you know, in your case, you're very physically active. You're very well-educated. You're very well-researched fact and research sound. You're, you know, not even 30 yet. And you've got multiple research publications. You're wrapping up your PhD in pharmacology You've got the whole world ahead of you. You've got all this time. And it just makes you wonder, what are people going to say about you? What legacy are you going to leave? What trail are you going to blaze that other people are going to follow later in life? Hmm. We'll have to do another podcast when I'm 80 years old. Maybe we'll have a better <laughs> idea by then. If I'm, if I'm still podcasting at 80, that, that will be that'll be how I celebrate my birthday or something like that when I'm 80. Yeah, we'll holograph it in. Yeah, there we go. If podcasts are even a thing by then, mm-hmm. you know, they'll they'll have all kinds of crazy new things from flying cars to, you know, advanced ways to learn or or, mm-hmm. or maybe we won't. Maybe we'll all end up like the movie Wally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Uh, But you're absolutely right that it is about legacy. And that's one of the reasons why we talk. uh, I know that you talk a lot about on your podcast about motivation, because you want to help others. That's a big part of legacy, Uh, intellectual contribution to the field, because that's not going anywhere. We have PubMed now, Uh, anything that we find out. I I mean, I'd I'd love to. So we, (laughs) me and my high school friends have done some interesting things that I think some (laughs) lessons can be learned from in fitness. For instance, right before the pandemic, we had this this idea that four of us were going to get together and we were going to just lift a million pounds with only powerlifting movements. Um, And I really wish something like that was publishable because I think there was some lessons learned from it. 
to make, to make that shorty sort, only three of us showed up and we had about half as much time as we planned on it, but we did make it to half a million pounds with like three people in six hours. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. And uh, the main finding there was that you want to carry most of the weight with the deadlift or your <laughs> body's going to fall apart. <laughs> you mean you don't want to spend your whole day bench pressing? You want to, <laughs> but you <Yeah>. shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, that is an interesting, almost like case study in a way. It is, uh, it is. And, and you know, that part of uh, what we talk about in fitness philosophy is how do we know what we know? How, how the epistemic question, how do we know that this will work for you? Because uh, you're, you're a personal trainer. How do you know that what you're prescribing is going to work for somebody? And uh, we, we, of course, we read the literature where they do maybe a randomized control study of an intervention on somebody and see if that has a benefit for their physical fitness, whether that be in weight loss, muscle gain, strength parameters. But it's very important to, con to consider, of course, the principle of biological individuality. And that's, we are pretty much doing that there. We are asking the question, all right, uh, Jonathan, the athlete, how is he going to do in, yeah. in these three categories to lift half a million pounds? How is he, my friend Ian, who's uh, closer to 200 pounds, much heavier? I don't want to say that online, much heavier <laughs> than me. Uh, how, how, what, what parameter is he going to be successful in? And so on and so forth. Right. And we have to consider the anecdotal evidence when considering the individual and how they're going to respond to a training challenge or a training intervention. For sure. And with that, too, it's not always what is the best intervention. Right. So mm -hmm. let's take um, we'll, we'll just take a quick orthopedic example here. So if someone's got patellofemoral pain syndrome, so basically they have tendonitis, inflammation of their quad and patellar tendon. What are you going to do? Well, the best exercise, the gold standard it holds up in the research is Spanish squats, extreme eccentric Spanish squats, uh, which involve a band pulling the tibia forward with a resistance band to um, pull into that more quad dominant position at the knee through eccentric loading, because eccentric loading is the gold standard for tendon pathologies. It hurts, but that uh, eccentric load to the tendon forces remodeling and adaptation to the tendon directly. Well, what if someone can't do that? What if someone can't do that gold standard exercise? What if you can't do what is number one? Well, then you have to settle for the third or fourth best option and not the quote unquote gold standard best option. And that same thing applies to lifting. In your case, for example, maybe they looked at you and said, you know what? I'll pick on you for a second. Maybe they said uh, you'd be best with the squat because you're lower to the ground, more leverage, a little bit shorter. Um, and maybe you said, you know what, that would be all well and good, but my hip mobility isn't that good. I don't get low enough. I'd be better off with the bench press because of, you know, X, Y, and Z. So even though, you know, we might think that would be the best for someone, it's not always the case. And sometimes you have to kind of go down a different road. And like we talked about before, sometimes that road takes you longer to get you where you want to go, but at least you're moving, at least you're not static or stagnant. Um, so awesome. Well, that was quite an episode covering all kinds of philosophical perspectives related to stoicism and how it applies to your health and fitness. John, do you have any kind of closing thoughts or closing remarks or anything else you want to share? 
I only want to get one more fun fact uh, oh, in yeah. about Plato. Um, if you didn't know, Plato was a famous wrestler in his time, and Plato's not his real name. It was actually just the nickname that they gave him because he had broad plate-like shoulders or <laughs> just a big forehead, depending on who you ask. Uh, that's so be like Plato. Be, be a philosopher with big shoulders. Be a philosopher with big shoulders. Listen to the Brawn Body podcast and you'll get both, right? <laughs> I hope so. And, you know, with that too, um, I think it was Henry David Thoreau that said to be a philosopher is not merely to have subtle thoughts or even to have found a school of philosophy, but to love wisdom and live according to as it dictates, whether that's mm-hmm. a life of simplicity or independence or trust whatever it is. So, you know, just because we're talking about these philosophers, you listening to this can call yourself a philosopher if you do exactly what we just said. So consider that. (laughs) Consider, you know, your own personal philosophy and how that relates to your life. Develop that moral compass and let it guide you in everything that you do. So with that, that's going to do it for this episode of the Brawn Body Podcast. Huge thank you for everyone who tuned in. Be sure to like, subscribe, and share this episode with a friend if you could. That way we continue to help more people. And John, thank you again. Thank you so much for your time. Excited for more episodes with you. Thanks, Dan. It's a pleasure.